you know, growing up, I always told my sister, you know, I will change people's life. I don't know if it's five, 10 or 15, you know, Mm -hmm. or even more. Hi, everybody, and welcome to B-Squared C, a podcast celebrating the stories of women of color in the corporate world. I am your host, Nancy, and I hope everyone is safe and sane wherever you're listening to this from. We are back to our regularly scheduled programming, and this week on the podcast, I gained buckets of wisdom from Stephanie Joseph. Stephanie is someone I've gotten to know over the last few months and her story just shakes me to my core because this woman is a survivor and an incredible force at it. She grew up in Haiti and her experiences there have shaped who she is now and aspires to be in the future. And some of the experiences include um, the devastating Haiti earthquake of 2010 where she lost some family And all of this has made Stephanie into a deeply empathetic and driven person. She's really someone who has taken adversity and turned it into her fuel. And I am so inspired and admire the person she is becoming. We also talked about many other things, including some common challenges for women of color in the corporate world, like microaggressions and imposter syndrome. Um, And Stephanie shared her experiences with us. Look, I will not give too much away. Let's get into Stephanie's story. Stephanie, hi. Hello, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good, thanks. It's really good to see you. You look beautiful, by the way. Thank you. You too. I know that people are not going to see this. <laughs> I thought they would. That's why I put on. <laughs> so you dress. I am so honored that you dressed up. And then I show up in like my Rob, <laughs> my auntie Rob, and I'm just chilling <laughs> in this house. <laughs> I'm here for it. I'm totally here for it. Oh my gosh. Well, welcome to the pod. Welcome to Biscuit C. Thank you for having me. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate being here. Ah, I appreciate you so much. Okay. Uh, before we get too far, I think we should do a little bit of intro, of Stephanie. So uh, my guest today is Stephanie Joseph, and uh, she has this incredible stories to tell from her life and her career that I can't wait for all of you to hear. And Stephanie and I only met actually a few months ago. (laughs) So we just started getting to know each other. New friends. Yeah. 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 (laughs) (laughs) We are. Super. Okay, so let's start with this. Stephanie, um, can you introduce yourself with three stories or experiences that define who you are? Sure, I'll go ahead. So I'm Stephanie Joseph. I was raised in Port-au-Prince, Haiti um, for more than half of my life, and that definitely shaped who I am. Um, Growing up in Haiti and Port-au-Prince, you know, and going to school there exposed me to I guess, what it means to be in a third world country, right? Mm-hmm. Recognizing mm-hmm. my own privilege, being able to go to school, have food on the table every day and not, you know, having to work for, to provide for myself. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I realized very early on that, you know, you know, I was privileged in a way, right? Being in a country where most people live below the poverty line, 
-hmm. that's something that marked me. Um, secondly, I grew up in a family, we were five, um, and till this day, we're, we're two. Um, mm -hmm. So that's something that shaped me um, a lot. I grew up, I was this, you know, we were three siblings. I was the youngest. Mm -hmm. We had a special needs sister. Chris now, she was the oldest, but at mm -hmm. times it definitely felt like she was the youngest of us, right. of us you know, um, you know of, of us all. Along the way, um, lost my dad, my mom, um, and my sister later on. And those experiences have also have shaped me very much, like experiencing loss, um, you know, very early before I was, I turned 18 um, and recently at 26. Mm -hmm. um, and the last piece um, I would say that like defines me, shaped me is, as for many Haitian, was the 2010 earthquake. Okay. In mm -hmm. January. So at the time I was 18, um, coming back from school, um, it was, you know, 5 p.m. Mm -hmm. and, and devastating earthquake struck, struck Haiti. Um, and at that time, you just see your life in a flash. Wow. Basically, a lot of, you know, things crumbling around you, people emerging from rumbles with, you know, blood on their face and their shoulders, people thinking it's the end of the world. And at that moment, I realized this might be the end of the world. Mm -hmm. So it, it is an experience in that shaped me understanding kind of like not only your own loss, because I did lose my mother in the earthquake, but wow. also like sharing the grief with million, million, millions of people. Right. Like, right. And all of us who were watching it too. Right. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So, you know, not knowing where, you know, my mother was at first, you know, trying to find, like having to find her, having to go through that process and wondering while like keeping hope that maybe she was okay right but right. there definitely was something in me that told me no she didn't make it um because I knew that she yeah. would for us and my sister if she was alive wow. so I think yeah. these experiences I've definitely shaped who I am as a human being the mm -hmm. way I see the world right and also it helped me understand like what kind of life I wanted to live right thank you for sharing that and that's that's pretty heavy i'm really sorry about your your mom mm -hmm. and the loss that you have experienced i cannot imagine what what that is like uh but here you are yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know so much energy and 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 so much positivity around the world so i appreciate that about you first of all um and thank you, you just talked about how yeah and you yeah. just talked about how those things have shaped how you see the world so how do you see the world uh, I think everybody has a, you know, a role they have to play in people's life. You know, growing up, I always told my sister, you know, I will change people's life. I don't know if it's five, 10 or 15, you know, mm -hmm. or even more. Like I've decided that, you know, the role that I want to play in the world is, you know, something that you, you have to decide for yourself and you can play that role. You know, sometimes it doesn't mm -hmm. have to be grandiose. It doesn't have to be like you become Mother Teresa. But mm -hmm. there's something that you're, that you only can do, right? right. And I think it's time for me to understand that, and you know, in the world, right? And also, I realize that we are all the same. Um, mm. It's easy to get caught up in, you know, your personal experiences and how that made you feel, but you, you like this. These experiences force force me to realize that there are people out there who are experiencing similar feelings. Maybe right through different experiences, through different journeys, 
but those feelings are universal. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like that shared understanding that drives me to be empathetic towards everyone. Right. Wow. I love that. I love that so much. So how has that, I guess, the last this whole year, right, uh, with what happened with the Black Lives Matter movement <laughs> um, in, in America on the ground, how have you experienced that? Right. Um, so 2020, in a way, was supposed to be in some, a symbolic year for me. Right. Mm. So starting over in 2020 was basically 10 years after the earthquake. Okay. Right. okay. I needed that year to mean something. Mm-hmm. Right. So basically like coming out of, you know, my 18 year old self, you know, basically being at peace with myself, finding myself. Right. Um, and then obviously my coming of age in America as a black woman too. So it's basically, mm-hmm. I, I felt like I've, I've made so much progress, right. On a personal level, but then you realize mm-hmm like, holy cow, <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't think, you know, we're in a stage where we can say we've made so much progress, right? right. Issues about other people matter, you know, life, Black lives, you know, matter in, in the mm-hmm. United States. So I think navigating that duality of being, you know, an immigrant, a woman, you know, a Black woman in this country is is kind of like hard to deal with when you Indeed. think about it. Right. So I think in the, you know, from a, from a personal perspective, you know, when you watch those videos of how people are being treated so poorly, you know, mm-hmm. like less than is it takes a toll on you emotionally. Indeed. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, and also in the corporate world, when I think about all the times that you need to put up a face, you need to show that you're not um, affected. Right. So mm-hmm. they, like they took a toll on you and, mm-hmm. you know, during this year, I basically reached out to my leaders. You reached out to the leaders in your organization. Yes. So how, how did that go? So my leader responded to me and say, you know, Stephanie, I appreciate you for, like, I appreciate you. I respect your courage for mm-hmm. reaching out. You know, obviously there was uh, the CEO of our company, you know, in the, you know, in the wake of George Ford's murder, reach out to the entire organization. Okay. I appreciated that. I was like, okay, the CEO sent something, you know, we're a company of, you know, thousands of people, but then at the cellular level, right, with our own team, obviously there's not a lot of us, but there are people of color, mm-hmm. people of color. And, you know, at that time I was, you know, thinking, you know, that our leaders would echo like the CEO's note, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I basically waited you know, and after a while, I was like, you know, I should do it. I should, I should basically highlight what was right. said, you know, and ask them to reinforce that within our team and mm-hmm. our group, right? Because it's, you know, it's, it's something that, you know, the head of your organization, the leader is saying it, but then the people who are closer to you, you know, in the reporting line, mm-hmm. you know, you know, how, knowing that they also support this makes a world of difference. Right. So, yeah. So basically following up on that note, I, you know, I highlighted that, you know, let's foster the, the community of inclusion that the CEO is calling every leader to do. Mm-hmm. You know, and what I like about our company, the CEO specifically, specifically said in a town hall, like, if you're, if you're not anti-racist or if you're like, if you're not anti-racist, you should consider it a, another company to work for. Mm. That was mm-hmm. like a full, strong statement. Wow. And I, and I love that. So reaching out basically um 
for me was basically telling them, you know, I'm sure you've seen what ha- what's happening and I want you to understand that, you know, it, it's not going to be okay for people who look like me in the office today. Right. And come and, you know, deliver a presentation and walk through some analysis that we did and not, you know, not blinking, right? Mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. internally there are battles that we are dealing with. Yes, like this is happening and this is real. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not just fluff, right? So watch out for people of color in your organization. Mm-hmm. Um, make sure that they don't feel left behind. Right, right. So I, I'm wondering what then was the the follow-up. The CEO stays, says a statement, but with the actual conversations planned and uh, resources created at the, the aftermath of this. Yes, absolutely. Okay. So there were not only conversation, but tangible plans, tangible okay. action plans. So there's been actually the institution of an office, you know, mm-hmm. company to tackle diversity and inclusion or inclusion okay. and diversity, um, okay. you know, at the firm, at the enterprise level. So deploying, um, you know, resources and people to talk about those things effectively, mm-hmm. right? Even I was nominated in my company to basically part of it, to be part of a task force Mm-hmm. to discuss allyship and you know support of black people um you know in black communities in the workplace so basically and rolling out devil um you know and rolling out um i guess some papers or some like um materials about addressing this they wanted to make sure that we're not saying this the wrong way mm-hmm. let's have people check those things and let's iterate let's ideate on these things okay so okay crossing every t and it's not just like done in a vacuum. So there's been a lot of effort done. And I was surprised. And one thing that I realized, just to keep it short, is that it's not about, you know, people not having the real willingness to do it or not having the resources to do it. Those things were implemented very fast at a very rapid pace. Right. It just took the leader to say, this is an issue that we need to take care of. Mm-hmm. And the team were already ready to plug and play. So leadership um, commitment is very important. Exactly. It's mm-hmm. tone at the top, right? Obviously. So as soon as your leader sets the tone, then you realize everything is already in place to really plug and play. Yeah. Yeah. So that was fascinating to see. That's great. Well, I'm glad that your company is taking care yeah. of you. Like that. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Let's talk about your career arc. <laughs> How did you get to where you are? Okay, so um, tactically, I I graduated from Vogue College in 2015. Mm-hmm. So um, immediately after the earthquake, I you know it was time for me to go to university, mm-hmm. and I ended up going to Vogue for four years. Okay, um, and so Vogue is kind of like well known in New York City, mm-hmm. um, you know, for a school for finance and accounting. And I studied finance there. Mm-hmm. Um, so immediate, like during my, you know, my school, I, my school years, I knew I wanted to be in finance and in business, okay. right? Because I know I wanted to rise to a level of influence initially back when I was in Haiti, I, I, you know, I, I had a huge passion for international relations or being mm-hmm. a diplomat, but I didn't realize that, okay, well, you know, coming to the United States, I'm like, that's not going to fly right now. I think mm-hmm. you, have num- you need numbers of years of studies and experience before you can be a diplomat. Mm-hmm. Then I, I was like, okay, business might be the right thing for me to do in New York City. 
Right. And basically I started, I started, you know, a passion for business and, you know, I studied finance. Mm -hmm. So I, I joined Ernst and Young and their consulting arm immediately after school. And I was in the banking and financial services practice. Okay. Right. So now I develop a strong interest for the payment space because mm -hmm. of a lot of the innovation happening in that space. Right. So think about, you know, digital payments, mobile payments, you know, especially in, in emerging markets. Mm -hmm. uh, when you think about the adoption of mobile money, um, like in places in Haiti or even places in Africa, that was something I was so passionate about. But mm -hmm. it wasn't like investment banking and wealth and asset management, but it was definitely something that would um, revolutionize people's lives. Right. right, So I started being super interested in the payments practice. And after EY, while I was working there, I was in the, you know, in the payment space, I transitioned over to American Express. Okay. I wanted to be closer to the payments industry. Mm -hmm. And now I work in a mini in-house consulting group within finance, helping with a large scale transformation, you know, related to finance and technology. Mm -hmm. But in the long term, as you ask, I see myself being driving huge financial inclusion programs across the world. Right. right? In Haiti, um, ideally in countries in Africa, I would hope, mm -hmm. um, in other places that need it. Um, I definitely feel like there's a lot to be done in the emerging markets, specifically mm -hmm. um, leveraging technology to make people count, right? Right. Serve the people who are unbanked, right? And not only that, but also give them, give 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 people the actual tools that they need to succeed in a formal economy. Right. So transitioning a lot of people in the informal sector into the formal sector. That's right. something that I would love to be able to do. I love it. Financial inclusion. Yeah. Uh, I think you already hinted a lot at why it's so important, but can you expand a little bit more on that for those who don't know what that means? <laughs> yeah. So I, you know, coming from Haiti, I will say that there's a lot of people, I, I grew up, grew up seeing a lot of people not operating in the formal economy. So right. in the way we do business or, you know, there's a lot of people selling at the market, they're fishermen, they're mm -hmm. people selling coffee, right? Um, and most of the time, these people do not have a bank account. Everything no. is transacted using cash, right? So when you think about all the movement happening in these spaces, they do not get tracked or measured, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right? And when you think about the indicators of development, you know, people, it's <laughs> undeniable that we are a, a poor country, mm -hmm. right? But I definitely strongly feel that when people from the informal sector get moved over to the formal sector, we have yeah. better data, right? To say, yes, we're a poor country, but this specific industry, right? Farming industry is generating that amount of money. Mm -hmm. I think it makes a better, it tells a better story. It's more effective and you get to service your people in a better way. That way, farmers who do not have, who did not have a bank account now, if they're tracked and measured, they're, they're, you know, the financial um, activities are tracked and measured, they could go to a bank and say, I made X, Y, and Z money last year. Right. You know, am I truly eligible for a bank loan? Yeah. Right? Because when people don't have, don't have the data and don't have the metrics, it's easy to say, no, you don't qualify for a bank loan. Right. You can't grant you any um, funding based on what you, you know, they have nothing to show yeah. for. So I think making people count and making, you know, those things count and matter, I think it, you know, it's important. Right, right.
Stephanie, uh, can you share your experiences with imposter syndrome? One of the challenges that are mm-hmm. huge for women of color in the corporate world. Absolutely. I think imposter syndrome is something that I'm still overcoming, but I'm definitely better than when I was, than I, than I started. Indeed. Than when I started. I think starting in the corporate environment is inherently different than being in the school space. You okay. Know, school space is you know, somehow safe, right? When you're in a corporate corporate environment, there is a huge portion of your time dedicated to proving yourself and why you are here. Obviously, everybody knows this. It's something that a lot of people I've talked about. But in my story, I realized that my counterparts, white or white men, you know, they didn't think about, they didn't think so hard. They didn't spend so much of their, of their mental capacity trying to prove, mm-hmm. here. you know, you already had the job, you had the grades, you did the interview, you had the skill set. There was no ounce in him and them that wanted to prove why they were here. Right. They were focused on delivering results and doing the job. You know, in my experience, I realized I spent too much time trying to prove why I was there. Mm-hmm. It was an, you know, simple example as, you know, not getting all the resources and information before I complete a task. Right. right? Whereas there was a fear of appearing, um, you know, unsure or mm-hmm. competent by asking a question that nobody would expect me to know the answer to. Right. right? So I think the concept of being set for success, it's something that I underestimated. Mm-hmm. Right tackle a project or you know a task you know I needed to be set for success is if somebody's going to give you all the tools or the information to be set for for success for delivering on that on that project you know there's nothing for you to worry about right but if you do not ask for these information for this information or these tools beforehand you now in the rabbit hole of you know trying to prove yourself and knowing that you have to come up you know with you know, the model on your own, you know, mm-hmm. to deliver an activity, right? And so that's something that I learned growing, growing and like in my journey, mm-hmm. um, in my professional journey, growing and dealing with imposter syndrome. Now I feel like also is, you know, being your authentic self in the workplace. You know, I touched upon that a little bit, you know, early in mm-hmm. and you come from a, di- from a different background than most people, right? right. And you're trying to assimilate um, there is a there is a tendency of you know just focusing on the work and on the results that you're driving delivering, but not like showing people you know oh this is my path so far. Mm-hmm. Right? It also plays a, a role in you know the imposter syndrome journey, right? Because then you're busy covering covering up um, you know a lot of things and just focusing on like what you can result in proving yourself. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Hand in hand in my own journey. Wow. Yeah, that's, that's definitely true um, in, in a lot of ways. And then part of it is when you're not showing up as your, 
self-authentically you can't speak up right <laughs> and uh you can't speak up especially when you're in uncomfortable situations because mm-hmm. exactly. um, you're too busy making other people comfortable with your presence exactly um, and that just reminds me of the second issue that a lot of women of color have which is like microaggressions right <laughs> of like you're sitting there you're clearly the only other person of color in the room and things are happening and everyone just seems to think like the, it just goes over their head like exactly absolutely exactly. i think women of color and you know, other people of color suffer from microaggression in the office all the time and you know earlier in my years i just didn't realize that people were um the perpetrators like <laughs> microaggression didn't even know that they were actually doing it right like, then i realized it was a matter of emotional intelligence mm-hmm. right of understanding that when you're in a place where there are diverse people, diverse group of people, not just women of color, but people from, um, you know, from other continent, you know, there's a, there's a, um, I guess, level of decency that you must have, mm-hmm. right? When you're conducting those, <laughs> those conduct, like those discussion, it's not about filtering yourself, but checking with yourself and saying, okay, is this actually appropriate for me to say? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, I've been in situations where people felt it was okay to discuss the beauty of New Orleans plantations. Mm. <laughs> and <laughs> right. And, and going back to what you were saying about not speaking up, you know, at that time, it, it is, it was one of my biggest regret not speaking up in that moment. Mm-hmm. And it was not about clapping back, but it was about calling people out and saying this is not okay right Right. and at that time when you know the person talked about you know the beauty of new orleans plantation but also said no offense you know we know it was a place of slavery no offense to that you know that specifically you know told me that okay that person knew exactly what they were they actually know what they're doing they actually knew what they were doing and it was a microaggression and the truth is Mm-hmm. Um, and that experience kind of like marked me and after that experience I was like I no longer want to um shut down when mm-hmm. I want to be I want to be able to speak up and say this is not okay this is not correct right um, so yeah so those things happen in the workplace and I think we've been taught to um you know, just overlook them in, in some way, right? Because we're so grateful to be there. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. And, but I think part of being authentic is saying what you're not comfortable with, right? Right. When people say, bring your whole self to work, right? It's not just being happy all the time and being colorful and, you know, exuding your own culture. But I mm-hmm. think part of being authentic is saying, you made that awkward joke right about my sexual orientation or about my race or about people some people somebody else's air it does not make me feel comfortable right and I think that's part of being authentic and I think and dealing with microaggression and imposter syndrome people need to not take the one side of the coin which is bring your authentic self which is happiness Mm -hmm. but also being comfortable to say the things that you're not comfortable with indeed and I think to your point about like you feel the need to to speak up even when it's about matter movement. I think when those things happen, there is a responsibility to speak up and to educate people as well. Right. Right. And I think calling out, you know, when somebody does 
something that's wrong or, you know, you know, I guess my micro, like the microaggression, it's like you're do- doing somebody else's a favor, mm-hmm. you know, by speaking up and preventing that same person to perpetrate that mistake right? You know, over time. Mm-hmm. You know, I think of it as, as abuse, right? It's like, mm-hmm. if you know somebody was going, you know, and abusing people ver- verbally and emotionally, wouldn't you stop them? I would right? do something it's about like, it. Mm-hmm. Exactly, it's the same thing, I think, mm-hmm. for having the power and, and stepping up. But I would say that I acknowledge that is challenging when you mm-hmm. first started a company, when you're new, when you're a junior, when you're not in a position where you feel like, you know, I will speak up, you know, and if that doesn't go well, I have the possibility and the power to go somewhere else. Mm-hmm. It takes time for people like us because, you know, you know, I, there's a there's a tendency of feeling so grateful for the opportunity. Mm-hmm. Doing mm-hmm. everything in our power not to mess it up. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Wow. That's a lot. And we have some ways to go. Stephanie, what is the best advice you've gotten in your career so far? I think I have to, I have to think a little bit hard about this. Mm-hmm. I think it was, um, you know, never lose sight of who you are. You know, it may mm-hmm. seem basic, right? But I think over time, it made a huge difference for me in how I think about my career, the relationship that I wanted to build and the relationship that did not mean so much to me, right? Um, And so I remember when I was leaving my previous company, right? Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I recognized that, you know, imposter syndrome and bringing my authentic self to work was a challenge, you know? Mm -hmm. And I was having a conversation with a senior leader and I was saying, you know, I'm at that point where... Um, you know, I want to be able to own my story. I mm-hmm. want to be to, to be at a point where, um, you know, I'm bringing my authentic self to work. And, you know, you know, th- these are the things that I will do mm-hmm. to do that. So I think it was a like a matter of remember my why, who I was and, you know, what I overcome and keep that in sight. And right. also that's the same thing that's driving me towards my, my dream, mm-hmm. right? And like going back to that focal point, of why am I doing this? Mm-hmm. Like, like doing certain projects, doing certain work or doing, you know, certain things that don't align to that just feels off. I feel like I'm off balance. Right. I'm not staying true to that focal point. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And another piece of advice I think it's um, that I've been given is like, do, do not only put your head down, right? And do the work, you know, obviously everybody can do that. Mm-hmm. But I think it's about, you know, building the right relationship as well. Right. Okay. Um, okay. I think it's like a very, very general okay. advice, but it goes a long way. It mm-hmm. really goes a long way. Um, I think currently in my company, I've been, you know, asked to take on a, like additional responsibilities because of the relationship that I was able right. to. Right. Right. So I think you'll be tapped for special projects or, you know, you will become a true advisor to your mm-hmm. company if you build the right relationship. You know, specifically right. as a woman of color, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you will be asked to, you know, speak on power panels and, and share your views, right? Not only if you do the great work, if you show up to yourself authentically, to work authentically, but if you have the right relationship, you're able to c- cultivate good relationship with people if you also open the door for it. Right. So 
um, work on your relationships as much as getting the work done. Absolutely. It's important because um, that's actually what advances you. That's great. I love it. I love it. (laughs) Stephanie, what is your hype up song? Right now it's power. Power. Ooh, yeah. (laughs) I think it's always been a variation of like Beyonce's song. Okay. So something Beyonce, obviously all the time. (laughs) Diva or power. Okay. Power. Oh my gosh. That's yeah, yeah. I love that. That's that yeah. song too. And the great. Uh what three words would you describe yourself with? I would say empathetic. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say huge appetite for life. Appetite for life. <laughs> if live your best life was a person. <laughs> it would be me, right? <laughs> I don't get like crazy, but I I make sure to enjoy you know, I, that, that's a decision that I've made mm-hmm. to really enjoy. Actively. Exactly. Actively life where I'm not saying that I've never had a moment of like doubt or, you know, fear, but I, I try to be in the present moment and enjoy as much as I can. Lovely. Lovely. Yeah. Well, I said three, you gave me two so far. No, and I said resilient. I resilient as well. Okay. Mm-hmm. I did not capture that one. Yeah, great. Okay, what are your what are your parting words for other women of color out there in the corporate world? I think the things that come to mind right now is focus on your focus. You mm. know, basic as it sounds, right? Focus on your focus. Focus on your focus because, okay. as I've, I've learned, right, um, in my life, like briefly, that things will come and go, right? Mm-hmm. But your time will come if you focus on your focus. Right, because yeah. you know, I was like, it's. I'm trying to like relate. I'm just like, focus on your focus, okay? <laughs> right, basically, if you've determined, you know, a goal, if you set up a, you know, your ultimate ultimate goal for yourself, mm-hmm. you know, focus on that. Your time will come if you put mm-hmm. in the work, right? If you do the right things and you know believe in the universe's power to mm-hmm. bring the things that you want. So that's basically. Just focus on your focus and don't worry about, you know, what's happening outside of you. Right. Like your, your, what's for you will come in millennial terms and like 2020 terms, like your bag will come. Yeah. <laughs> your bag will come if you put in the work, you yeah. will get. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, so like focus on your, fo- focus on your not star. Focus. On your exactly. Exactly. I love it. Exactly. Love it. And also, um, you know, I think determine who you want to be in your community or mm-hmm. in the around you, right? Um, are you going to be the go-to person when, when somebody wants true support, um, true friendship and true empathy? Like, kind of like think about that. Think about the role that you're playing in people's lives. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's the other piece of advice that I have. I love that. Great. Well, Stephanie, thank you so much for making the time. Thank you, Nancy, for having me. The Nancy. <laughs> I enjoyed this conversation so much. Um, I'm going to give you back your day now. Okay. And I will talk to you soon. Thank you so much for listening to Stephanie's story. And I hope I know you are as inspired by her as I am. I mean, talk about a powerhouse of a woman and um, just a rock and a symbol of resilience, right? 
Now, I would love, love to hear your thoughts on this episode. And you can come to the Biscuit C Instagram and LinkedIn page uh, to share your thoughts with me. Or you can DM me. If you like what you heard, go ahead and give this podcast five stars wherever you're listening to it from. And don't forget to share, share it with your network. And lastly, you can also make a small donation to help keep this podcast going. You can buy me a coffee and you can find the link in the show notes. Next week, I'll be reflecting on a theme or two that came out of the conversation with Stephanie. Until then, I am your host, Nancy. Be safe, be empowered and stay inspired.